10 Stories High with me, Dan Mitchell. This is Chapter 2, Book 1, Other Worlds. Other worlds don't have to be magical. In the 16th century, the people of Europe tried desperately to find the new world in order to gain mastery of its mysteries. Why did the chicken? The broken ship bobbed gently through the calm sea. The mast was lost, and they were adrift. The sun was fierce, causing the crew to shelter below, away from its brutal eye. Two men stood on deck, staring wearily into the horizon. Turning to the other, through salt-cracked lips, one asked, Why? Why, you ask? Apollo pondered his answer carefully. Is it not obvious? He'd always worked hard. During the day he worked on his parents' chicken farm, and by night in the local cantina. It was there that he first met the harbour master, Gaspar del Castillo. They called him El Camino, the road, because if you wanted to get anywhere in this town, you used him. Every deal, every sail, and most importantly, every ship went through him. Polo knew that this was the man he had to impress if he was ever to achieve his dream of becoming a sailor. Senor de Castillo, you honour us with your presence. If there is anything you need, do not hesitate to ask for me, Rodri... I know who you are, Polo, and I know where you come from. You are a chicken plucker, and a chicken plucker's son. And chickens do not belong at sea. Rodriguez's face reddened as everyone in the cantina pointed and laughed, repeating the name given to him by El Camino. Polo. Chicken. It stuck. And no matter how hard he tried to prove himself over the coming months and years, he was always greeted with those same sneering words. He could not give up his dream of being a sailor, but how could he prove himself worthy if El Camino made it his mission to hold him back? The only way he could. He waited and watched. Every clandestine meeting El Camino had, he noted. The people he met, he got to know. The corrupt deals being made, the bribes being taken, Polo put them all in his book. 
When he heard of the new ship Camino was building, his plan was put into play. Months later, he was sailing on the open seas, heading for the new world, captain of that very ship with a full crew of loyal men. The guard stationed in front of the ship had welcomed him on board reverentially once he had shown them the official documents. Documents signed, stamped and sealed by the mark of Gaspar de Castillo. There could be no doubt as to their authenticity. The document had been easy to procure. El Camino was a terrible drunk and things were always falling out of his pockets especially when Paulo had slipped him something in his drink. Finding a forger who had a grudge against El Camino, who would copy it, was also easy. A man willing to risk anything to get revenge on the person who had stolen his livelihood. The amount of people who had been affected by the harbour master's corruption would have filled the ship three times over, so Paulo had his pick. The finishing touch was the small bribe given to the shipbuilder to change the ship's name from... Santa Maria to El Polo. Unfortunately, El Camino was not as stupid as Polo had hoped. It was not long before he had launched his fastest ship, El Puta de Mer, catching up with them only days later. El Polo and its crew were struggling amidst a storm when a ship loomed out of the mist, catching them unawares. That unmistakable bellowing voice ordered the cannon to fire! and with one crack of gunpowder, steel and splintered wood, their mask was down. The crew of El Polo were dead in the water, and prepared to feel the full force of the harbourmaster's cannons when another crack echoed in the air. A lightning bolt split the sky, striking El Camino's cannon, ripping a huge hole in the ship. Within minutes, El Camino was no more, and El Polo was set adrift. But that was the how, and he had been asked why. The first mate asked again, Why did you cross El Camino? Why? One question with so many answers. To take down a corrupt and bloated scoundrel. To see who I could be. To achieve my dreams. To know myself. Then... On the horizon, they saw it. Land. The most beautiful sight they had ever seen. The new world. Polo grinned and spoke. But most importantly, to get to the other side. Many people think that the only portals to other worlds are hidden in misty mountains or dark forests. In this next tale, we will show you that that isn't true, and that sometimes you could find other worlds where you least expect them. Drift. You want a refill, Mr. Tan? asked the barman already bringing over a rum-filled coconut, complete with cocktail umbrella and straw. Don't mind if I do, he replied, draining the dregs of his previous drink. And call me Aaron. 
Whatever you want, Mr. Aaron. There was something about the way Marcus said his name, the relaxed way he stretched it as if it had four A's that really made Aaron smile. His entire personality was so laid back and warm it made anyone in his vicinity relax too. What plans you got for tomorrow? An adventure around the island? Or another lazy day by the pool? What's the point of moving when I've got all this? He answered, gesturing towards his selection of trashy novels, Factor 50, and numerous emptied coconuts. Mr. Aaron, you've got three days left of your holiday and you spent all your time sat here. You sure you don't want to see what else Barbados has to offer? Might as well buy ice and fry it. I couldn't leave your beach bar, Marcus. I'd miss you too much. Miss my pina colada more like. Anyhow, won't be here tomorrow. Time for my holiday. Aaron looked despondent. Tell you what, I'm not leaving for a couple of days. I'm going for a bit of a boat ride tomorrow. You want to come? Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate it. Left to his own devices, Aaron would happily have left the island with nothing but a ten-day hangover. It was supposed to be a romantic getaway for two, but then he found out that his wife was sleeping with his boss, and he decided to go on his own, phoning the divorce lawyer from the airport. The next day, the eternally smiling Marcus and the grey-faced Aaron met at the bar. You don't look so fussy. You sure you're up for it? They asked. No. But I'm coming anyway. They walked across the hot, white sands to the little jetty where the boat was moored. They climbed in, started the motor, and headed through the pristine sea towards another part of the island. Aaron shifted in his seat towards the side, just in case the ocean's movement made him hurl. His foot smacked against something hard under a tarpaulin, causing him pain and making a satisfying clang sound. What have you got under there? he asked. My scuba gear. You ever dive? Well, I trained in the pool specifically for this holiday but you already knew that. Marcus grinned. Wait till you try it in the big water. They reached a spot about a hundred metres offshore. Aaron put on his tank, regulator and goggles and sat on the edge of the bed. You ready? Thumbs up. Time for a sea bath. Aaron mumbled his protestations as Marcus shoved him into the clear blue sea before disappearing with a splash. Under the surface, everything changed. The water was bright and warm and teeming with life. Everywhere he turned, there was something new. A myriad of exotic, aquatic life surrounded him. Jellyfish bobbing aimlessly with the flow. Silver flecks darted here and there all oblivious of any of the stresses of the modern world. Oblivious to him. Gone were the sounds of the world, too. 
Gone were the worries of the world. Gone were nearly all thoughts of Donna Marie DeMarco and Mr. Jonathan Weatherby. The rest of the morning was given up to diving while Marcus drifted around in the boat, fishing. Before midday, they drove over to a secluded little beach nearby and cooked the catch of the day, a couple of bright-eyed red snappers, cooked on an open fire and washed down with a couple of beers from the cool box. A light breeze drifted past, cooling them down perfectly. The breeze became a wind, bringing with it a noticeable chill in the air and clouds on the horizon. Well, looks like that's the end of our adventure, said Marcus. Are you sure? I was really enjoying that. Tell you what, the storm is way away. We'll go across and stop for a small time at a place I know. Not long now. Just enough for you to get your fill. Aaron hastily agreed, and soon they were speeding over a decidedly choppier sea towards a little patch of ocean just offshore. We're here. Now don't be too long down here. We'll need to be jaunting just before the rain come. The weather had already changed the world below. The increased swell had dredged up the sand somewhat, meaning that the clarity at the bottom was nowhere near what it was. Aaron could see no more than a few feet ahead of him, even then with no clearness. The once sharp shape of that morning were now muted shadows, out of focus, almost otherworldly. Out of the sandy golden clouds floated an angelfish, its heavenly form blessing Aaron as it drifted overhead. His gaze followed its lazy path, when a fearsome shape thrust out of the cup. His gaze followed its lazy path, when a fearsome shape thrust out of the darkness like a sword, cutting through the water, cuffing Aaron's head as it devoured the angel in one. The barracuda turned swiftly around, the dark steel of its mouth gaping open with cruel metal barbs. Twisting swiftly out of its way, Aaron succeeded only in bringing up more sand, clouding his vision further. The fish's tail hammered into his face as it sped past, knocking the regulator from his mouth and causing him to breathe out forcibly. Nearly out of air, he panicked, instinctively kicking for the surface. As he moved, something caught his leg. He tried to kick it off, but it just held him all the tighter. He reached down, tearing at whatever it held him. It gave. As it released its grip, it moved up towards him. A bleached tentacle drifting upwards, pulling with it some terrifying dead aquatic thing, gazing at him open-mouthed. In that moment of absolute panic, he heard a sound, a single word floating across the ocean. The voice came from everywhere at once, surrounding him, engulfing him. It was both beautiful and terrifying. With a surge of adrenaline, he kicked upwards from the terror beneath. He looked down to see if it was following him, only to see a pale, glowing face staring back before sinking back into the depths. As he began to pass out, Drift. a hand appeared from above, dragging him upwards into the air and onto the familiar boat. He gasped loudly, inhaling vast drags of air before spluttering seawater all over the deck. 
He had never felt so alive, and never realised how much he took air for granted. You okay? What happened? I thought I'd lost you. Something grabbed me, held me down. Grabbed you? In its mouth? Tentacle? You sure? We ain't never had no tentacle round here. Certainly none so big as to hold a man down. Marcus looked at Aaron's leg and nodded knowingly. Marcus looked at Aaron's leg and nodded knowingly. Ah, I see. You was caught in a ghost net. Ghost net? What the hell's a ghost net? Sometimes fishermen lose their net. So the net drift off on his own, still catching fish. The dead fish bring more fish, who come for a feast, but then they get caught. Sometimes the net catch other nets, and float right into the ocean, catching all it meet. Fish, bird, shark, all dead, all drifting. Ghost net. But it was alive. It grabbed me. Your legs say different, he said, pointing at the bleached length of frayed rope attached to his ankle. He removed a long dead crab claw. Ha! Catch of the day! But I saw a face. It spoke to me. It said drift. Well, I can't say I've ever seen no mermaid round here. But fear does a strange thing to a man. Now let's get home and back to the bar. A storm coming. They raced towards shore, narrowly beating the storm clouds. Thick and bloated, they darkened the sky, hurling their fury at the land and ocean alike. Tropical storm Bertha had arrived. Marcus led Aaron to his room and told him to get some rest. If that don't work, have a drink, but not outside. I'll be leaving morning time, so I'll say farewell. Thank you. It's been exactly what I needed. Glad to hear it. Now take care of yourself. Aaron poured himself a large whiskey and lay on the bed. Adrenaline gone, he fell asleep almost instantly, the storm raging outside. By the time he awoke, the sun was shining through the open curtained window, prizing open his heavy eyelids. How long have I slept? he said to himself. You're away, said a voice from the bathroom. I thought you'd never get up. Aaron leapt into full consciousness, all sleep expunged from his mind and body and replaced with the overwhelming knowledge that he wasn't alone. The owner of the voice stepped out from the ensuite, wrapped in a thick dressing gown and towel on her head. You okay, sweetie? She said, then added with a wicked grin. Not too worn out, I hope. Donna Marie? Yes, my love. What the hell are you doing here? What do you mean? I mean, how did you get in my room? You mean our room? The room I helped book for our anniversary getaway. Are you okay? But you and Weatherby. Weatherby? You mean Jonathan? What's going on here, Aaron? 
Aaron's mind slowed. The room around him blurred a second as he tried to hold on to something. Are you okay? You look pale. A gentle rap on the door brought the room into focus and the mist that clouded Aaron's mind dissipated. That'll be breakfast, said his wife. His wife, who he loved, he reminded himself, who he would do anything for. She opened the door to reveal a familiar face. Standing there with a tray of pastries and succulent fresh fruit was Marcus! Aaron shouted with glee. You're still here? Sure am, Mr Tan, he replied, flashing that big charming grin of his. Will I be seeing you out in the water today, or will it be another day by the pool? Aaron looked confused. But what about the storm? No storm that I heard of, and I hear everything. Just another beautiful day in paradise. He grinned again, but this time it was different, like the cold, barbed smile of the barracuda. We'll be by the pool, thank you, Marcus, said Donna Marie, handing him a generous tip. I don't want to let him out of my sight. Thank you, ma'am, Marcus replied before leaving. And I'll see you by the pool. But first, first, Donna Marie said while closing the curtains, I want to show show my husband husband how much much I love him. The sound of water poured into the darkened room. Aaron Tan lost all sense of where he was. He was not in control now. She was. And he gave himself over to her control willingly. I love you, Aaron. I have always loved you and will love for an eternity. The voice was different somehow, coming from all directions at once. The sound of water quietened and Aaron found himself once again adrift. He floated in darkness, allowing his limp body to be pulled by the currents. A shoal of silver sprats darted urgently towards him, fleeing some unknown danger. He exhaled sharply, then calmed as they passed quickly, leaving him alone once more in the murky waters. Then to his left it came, a spectral tentacle reaching slowly through the darkness towards him. Clutched in its grip was the long-dead remnants of a barracuda, its lonely eye glinting in the twilight as its gaping mouth advanced towards him. Another tentacle followed, bound to the first, holding what might once have been a lobster, now a bleached, barnacled ghost. Close behind, other tendrils appeared, each grasping their own dead trophy. He was surrounded by the translucent skin forms of gulls, tuna, even the sad smile of a long drowned dolphin. It seemed to go on forever, as if all sea life could be contained within the ghost net. There, right in the centre, was the face he had seen before. A woman's face, smooth and pale and beautiful, seemingly glowing in the dark water. 
Her arms were open wide. She opened her soft, luminescent lips and spoke. Words floated towards him, their movement almost visible, before flooding into every part of his body. Why don't you drift with me, Aaron? A partially skeletal turtle turned its head towards him, opened its beak and spoke. Drift. All the long-gone dead creatures followed suit. Even the less than whole turned a flipper towards him and spoke. Drift. 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 Like a soft drumbeat in his soul, it pulled him towards the woman as she hung there in the water, the net billowing like a sail. Drift. They embraced. Her cold, wet lips touched his, lovingly taking the warmth of his breath. Drift with me, Aaron. I love you. He stared, transfixed, into the pale green of her eyes. Drift, he said, and took his place forever in the ghost net. He was finally reported missing two days later, when he failed to check out. The police arrived, their cars wailing the siren song. A witness said she saw him stumbling towards the sea in the middle of the storm, as if in a trance. She asked him what he was doing, but he almost floated past, drifting. Thank you for listening. All stories were written and performed by me. Dan Mitchell. Other voices in this episode were played by Sarah Louise Tyler. The theme tune was written by Melody Morselshop at Morselshop. All other music was from Epidemic Sounds.